Morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. Thank you for having me this morning. I appreciate it. Last time I was supposed to preach, sadly, I had a call with Peter a few hours, 12 hours before, I think, and uh, I felt terrible. And I promised him I wouldn't call and cancel this week. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, some updates on youth group, y'all. We have camp this Friday. This coming Friday, we're going to uh, winter camp. It's awesome. It's awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I didn't get to go out of town during the holidays, so I'm looking forward to going out in nature and spending time with God. I'm looking forward to building relationships with the youth and worshiping God together. And uh, I know that they need this time too. It's always a good time for them to just leave the city for a bit, be out together. And I always say this part, away from their phones. And then just being kind of forced, but not in a, in a bad way, forced to be just in community with one another. And it, it always turns out wonderful. And we come down that mountain, I just pray uh, that they keep that fire going and that we as a church family can help them continue and stay strong in the faith. Amen? Uh, some other things that I've been working on with the youth group that I've mentioned before are that on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and pause Fridays, I go to the high schools to uh, work with FCA Young Life. Uh, Tuesday I go to South. Wednesdays and Thursdays I go to uh, West High School. And Redondo Union, I used to go on Fridays, but they're, they're not letting volunteers come in for this month at least. We'll see what happens next month. But it's been good because I've gotten to speak to a lot of the kids, build relationships with them. We've seen some fruit. Uh, some of them have come to our youth group, uh, and, I'm, and some of them have come to our Sunday services. And it's been nice. It's been good because uh, they get to hear the gospel, and, and the goal is, of course, to help them be disciples of Jesus Christ. So as we dig into that, I hope that there's a building of the faith, relationships, and uh, them being part of a local church. Uh, with that said, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for this day. Thank you that we get to be here today, gather to hear your word. Father, I pray that you may speak through me, that we may be doers of your word and hearers of your word, Lord Jesus Christ. May uh, you guide our footsteps and answer any questions we may have uh, about what you have to speak to us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. amen. Now, if I'm being honest, I had some trouble starting this sermon. I had some trouble finding an intro to this, term, this sermon, and on Fridays, I meet with Will Nichols. Me and him hang out on Fridays, and as we talk about different things, uh, he brought me back to a memory, basically, that I had when I was uh, a child and when I was in my teen years. Anybody here? We've all been on a road trip before, yes? Yeah? We've had good times on road trips, yes? Okay, so my family used to drive, so we, I grew up in Texas, some of you guys know this, we grew up in Houston, Texas, and we used to drive to Mexico constantly, several times a year, all the time, because my grandma was there, my cousins were there, my uncles were there, and this was a time before cell phones, this was a time before tablets, we did not have a TV in our vehicle, I was the most hyperactive kid you could imagine. I put my parents to the test. I don't know how they stood me at that time. They put up with me. So the, the, the drive was five hours to get to the border and then eight hours to get to, from the border to the city. My parents were. So it was 13 hours. I hated it. 
I hated it with a passion. I did not like being in that car. And honestly, this is kind of silly and embarrassing. So you know how kids ask, uh, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? My thing was, how old are you? How old are you? Because I had energy, and I just had to get it out. And I don't know how, I honestly don't know how to, they put up with me. The drive was terrible. The drive was terrible. But being there really shaped me as a kid. It really had foundational uh, uh, things that changed me and shaped me. Uh, I love being around my cousins. I love being around my uncles and my aunts and seeing how they live and, and being around my grandma and how she was matriarch and everybody loved her and she was so awesome. And I loved being out with my family. It was just different because my parents I also acted differently because they're on holidays, so I got to go out all the time and spend time with my cousins. And it was such a good time, such a good time. But there was also something that was new to me in many ways. Because where I grew up in Texas, you don't really see a lot of the poverty. You don't really see it with your eyes. At least the city I grew up in, you don't see it in the streets. You don't see it there. But going to Mexico, and in, although it's, it's rich in many ways, there is extreme poverty there. So I would go there as a kid, and my dad would give me money, and we'd go out with my cousins, we'd go downtown, we'd go different places, and we'd be hanging out with my cousins and eating food and all that. And then I'd see people who were older, my grandparents' age, and I would see people who can't walk, and I see people who can't see, and they're playing music, or they're trying to do something to survive. And that really hurt me. It hurt me a lot. Like, it affected me a lot as a kid, and I was like, I want to help them. I really want to help them. So out of the vessels that my family gave me, I would always pull some out and, and try to help these people, or if we had food, we'd, we'd give them food or whatever was there. And I felt good about it. I felt good about it. But then there was this one moment, this other moment that is like sketched in my mind. It's, it's there. One day we were driving again to San Luis Potosí, and we were in the middle of nowhere. All you see is mountains and a road. And all of a sudden, there's tons of people on the side of the road, tons of people. And they look like they're not well off. They're people just, you know, they don't have a lot of money. So at some point, you know, we, we started feeling bad, and so my dad pulls over, and he pulls out some money, and he gives it to them. And, and these are humble people, y'all, humble people. And you can kind of see it in their face. Like, they're grateful, but there's something that's just, that's just not right. Like, they're, they're longing for something else. And so I think it was my brother who initiated. He grabbed the jacket, and he handed it over to them. And you just saw their face light up. They were super excited. They're like, thank you. So it turns out that these people were living out in the mountains, and it was so cold because it was wintertime. They came down to keep warm, and all they wanted were jackets to keep warm. And so we go to another group, and we just start giving them our warm clothes. And I remember this as a kid. I was like, wow, that feels good. That feels good to help people. It feels nice. And, and, and as a Christian, this is what God calls us to do, to help others. But at the same time, at the same time, in my teen years, my preteen years, I realized there's something that I understood. The fundamental issue was not going to be solved. The fundamental problem of poverty, of people not having enough, was not going to be solved by me helping someone eat for a day or keep warm for years. Although it's really good. It's good that someone can eat another day. It's good that someone can survive another day. It's good that someone can keep warm for years. That's great. 
And God calls us to those people. But the fundamental problem was still present. Still present. So what do I do with that? What do I do with that? Fast forward to present day. Like I said, I meet with Will Nichols on Friday. Some of you know him. Uh, I like to call him Sir William. During our VBS, I was Mr. Bear, and he was Sir William. So this is what they, they, they called us, the kids. And Fridays, we talk about Bible. We talk about uh, Scripture. We talk about ministry. We plan for the future. And, but we also just fellowship with one another. We, we hang out. And I, he's a really smart kid who, know, who loves history, so we talk about history often. World War II is a big topic of ours. Uh, but we talk about North America, South America. We talk about Asia. We talk about Africa. We talk about current events. We talk about what's going on in the world. And as we continue dialoguing, me and him, we look at different cultures and different ways of living and ideas and philosophies that people have come up with. And obviously we can't talk about all of them. But we as humans, what I find is that we as humans, we continuously want something better. We long for a better world, a better way of living. And some of our ideas, our ideas are great. I mean, we've made some good advancements. The life expectancy in the last 200, life expectancy in the last 200 years has improved dramatically. It's been an incredible, incredible improvement. But at the same time, we've done some terrible things, yo. You know what I'm saying? We've done some genocides. Uh, big famines, destroying of land. We've done some good things and we've done some bad things. But as, look, as I look at, at humanity too, I'm just thinking like, we long for a better world. We want something better. And we all think that we got, the, not all of us, but many of us think we got the solution. This is the, if we do this, this is going to solve the issue. But every single solution is always missing the mark. It's not enough. There's something missing. It's always incomplete. There are actually societies out there who have tried to create their own utopia. So they gather people together. Okay, let's get these families together. We're going to go and we're going to create our own utopia. I remember when I was living in Paraguay, uh, I, I understood this story of some Germans who uh, gathered a bunch of families and they wanted to create an Aryan utopia. So they went to the jungles of Paraguay and they try to create their own Aryan utopia, and you can just imagine that it did not work out. It did not work out at all. And there are many stories in history of people like, this is the way it's done, this is what we're going to do, and this is how it's going to be solved. But there are, we long for a better world. We long for something more. We long for the solution of the problem. And this is the way, and we think it's going to be our 501c3. We think it's going to be our government. We think it's going to be my money who's going to solve it. We think, but we see people with billions of dollars who are still depressed, who are still anxious, who still have panic attacks, who still have all these issues, and death is still present. So what is the solution? Enter the Bible. Here comes the Bible. The Bible recognizes that humanity tries to constantly fix itself, but we constantly fail. And with the people of God, we try to fix ourselves. So we see the problem. We don't solve the problem. We turn to God. God comes in. God helps us. Awesome. God is amazing. But then we start relying on ourselves. So we try to fix ourselves. We start relying on ourselves. Sin enters again. We try to fix ourselves. We turn to God, and it's just a cycle, a cycle, right? Now enter Jesus. And we're coming into the passage that we are in today. Enter Jesus. In the passage we will read, he makes a very extremely exclusive claim. 
while at the same time, an incredibly inclusive invitation. I said we all long for something better, another world that just can't be fulfilled in this life. This world that we long for, this freedom, this good news, this sight, Jesus is making the exclusive claim that is fulfilled in him. It is fulfilled in him. And that might sound like a cringe moment for many of us. Ooh, Jesus, I kind of like you, but why you got to say things like that? But he also makes, sorry, that was an exclusive claim. An incredibly inclusive claim that he makes is that all are invited to participate in this life with him. All people are invited into this world that we long for, that is fulfilled exclusively in Jesus. Exclusively in Jesus. And before we start judging Jesus and say, like, I don't know, I don't like that. Before we start wanting to throw him off the cliff, which some people want to do if we look at the rest of the passage, let's look at what he actually says, okay? So let's, uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 4, 14 through 21. And uh, a little bit of context of the passage. You got Luke who's writing, and he doesn't hold back. He talks about, this is who Jesus is. What do you think? Right? He's, he's, he's showing us who Jesus is. He was born of a virgin. The, the angel said who he was going to be. He's this, the Messiah, the promised one. You see him baptized. You see the Trinity there. You got the Father who says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. You got the Holy Spirit who descends upon him. You got the Son who is Jesus. So you got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinity there. And then Jesus is tempted, and of course, because he's God, he doesn't uh, succumb to temptation. He overcomes. And now we're in our passage. So let's look at what it says. Luke 4, 14 through 21. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fat, were fasted on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All right, so what's going on, y'all? So Jesus, like I said, he had just been baptized. Now he's preaching the word. He's going around different communities, and then he comes back to where he's from. And the people where he's from, they know him, right? They know who Jesus is. So Jesus goes to the synagogue, goes to church, right? And while he's at church, he's given a scripture to read. So kind of like what I just did, he's read the scripture. And then he sits down. The reason Jesus sits down is because he's about to teach, right? So all the eyes were fasted on him. And of course, the focus, the focus that I'm talking about is he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's making that exclusive claim. It is fulfilled in me. This is what Jesus is saying. It's fulfilled in me. And he's also making that inclusive claim, which we're going to look at. All are invited. 
We long for this better world. We long for something greater, and it is fulfilled in Jesus. And this is good news. It's fulfilled in Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. All right. It's not fulfilled in our 501c3. It's not fulfilled in my money. It's not fulfilled in government. It's fulfilled in Jesus. So what is this? What is this fulfilled? Okay, let's look at it. Uh, I'm going to start on verse 18, right? It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. So he's recognizing that he is the Messiah. He is the one sent from God. It is fulfilled in him. The two words I want to focus on right here are, are poor and good news. So who are the poor? Who are the poor? Jesus was poor. He grew up poor. His community was poor. His family was poor. He was a carpenter. Disciples were poor. Jesus knew what these people were going through. He knew what it, what it was like to be poor. Okay. So what does Jesus do with that? What is this good news that Jesus does? Does he just feed them? Is that what, is that what Jesus came to do? Feed them? Well, he cares. He cares about the phys- physical lives of the people because he does feed them. We see in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus cares for those who are hungry. He feels bad for them, so he feeds them. And this is what we should do. We as Christians are called to help those who are in need, those who don't have enough. But is that all we're supposed to do, only feed those who hunger? Well, there's a passage again uh, in John where after Jesus feeds the 5,000, here's what it says. It says, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So what happened is Jesus feeds the 5,000. There's a crowd that follows Jesus. And Jesus is like, oh, no, no, you guys are coming because you, you ate. Don't work for food that spoils. Work for food that, endure, that endures to eternal life. And it's found in me. This is what Jesus is saying. Believe in me. This is what Jesus is saying. But are the poor just those who don't have money or have enough food? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. So it's not just the physical needs of the people. Also the spiritual needs of the people that Jesus is concerned about. The poor in spirit, to be poor in spirit is to be humble and honest and wanting to know who God is. In the end, we will come to recognize our sin that there's nothing that we can do to deliver ourselves from our dire situation. No matter what our status is in life, we need to recognize our spiritual poverty and come before God in faith to receive the salvation that he offers. And guys, we're all in need. We're all in need. All right, you might say, though, <clears throat> you might say, hold on, I'm not, I don't, I want to consider myself spiritually poor, so I don't know what's going on here. Jesus continues. Uh, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Freedom for the prisoners. Okay. In the context of Isaiah, who are the prisoners? Well, you have exiled people who have been conquered by another group of people, and some of them are enslaved. Some of them are held captive. Okay. So Jesus wants to free the prisoners. And to contextualize this, prisoners today would be those who are wrongly accused, those who are 
trafficked. I mean, that's something that's horrible. And Jesus wants to set these people free. But it's not just about the physical, right? It's also the spiritual. The spiritual imprisonment. There are those who are held captive by their thoughts. Held captive by their money. Held captive by their anxieties. Held captive by fear. Held captive by a political belief. Held captive... Anything could become an idol. Anything, anything can make us imprisoned. One of the big ones for me, at least, that I know that I always have to work on is I can easily be held captive by that dopamine hit of that cell phone. You want to look and you go, oh, yeah. Or you want that anger, or you want that laugh, or you want that, you want that whatever buzz that comes from your phone. I, I, mean, I like that. So we got to be careful. And Jesus has come to set the captives free. But what is this freedom? What is this freedom? Is this freedom the United States of America? Now, look, I'm, I love this country. I don't, I, I'm not going to hate on this country. I think we've done good things. But remember what I said earlier about there's something that we long for, and, and our solutions are always going to miss the mark. Although American freedom is good or can be good, it's still missing the mark. Still not what God is calling us to. Freedom is found in Jesus. Freedom is found in Christ. And this freedom, let's say you are in a cell, you're imprisoned, right? Jesus is not opening the door so that we can walk into another cell and be imprisoned by something else, so we can be captivated by something else. He's opening that door so that he can receive us. He's opening that door to receive us in open arms and welcome us into life with him, into that life that we long in our hearts, in our minds, in our actions. This is good news. God is welcoming us into life with him. This is good news. It is found and fulfilled in him. And remember, he's talking about the poor. Good news to the poor. What is this good news? Repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. This good news is one of turning around from that jail cell, turning around from that thing that's holding, holding us captive, and running to the good news that is the kingdom of God found in Jesus. We're not running to something else to save us because we know that's going to be incomplete, not to minimize the progress we've made as a society, but it's always going to be lacking. Jesus is the fulfillment of of the good news, of the freedom that we all long for. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, and then he says, recovery of sights for the blind. Well, Jesus, again, cares for the physical well-being of the people. He heals the blind. He heals those who cannot walk. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus cares for the people. And we as Christians, those who are followers of Christ, we are to care for the people physically for the physical needs of the people, God calls us to proclaim his kingdom through our actions. Okay? But it's not only that. There are many of us who want to know the truth, many of us who long to know God. Or we've had an experience where we're like, okay, what does this all mean, God? Where is this taking me? And then all of a sudden, the Lord opens our eyes. He gives us sight to see who he is, to understand him better. And it 
shakes us up. And we're amazed and we're awed, taken aback by God. I remember that one, I think I told this story, but that one time I was fasting and all of a sudden I understood God better. I understood what he did on the cross better. Of course I can't fully understand it because it's beyond my comprehension in a sense, but I understood what he meant in a better sense what he did on the cross for me. And it just made me fall in love with him more. And there are times that God opens our eyes and we're like, wow, God, you are really good. You helped me here. You showed me love. You gave me freedom from my captivity. You gave me eyes to see. I was spiritually poor or, or spiritually hungering for you. And you came to me. And you showed me a better way of life. Okay, so we got that. I got two more. And he says, to release the oppressed. So Jesus Christ came to release the oppressed. So who are the oppressed? Today we have many different definitions of who the oppressed are. If you go to, if I go to Bolivia, their definition of oppressed can be very different than, I don't know, somewhere in Canada, right? But people are oppressed by, oftentimes, uh, those who take, who, who don't pay the fair wages, they're oppressed by uh, people who are enslaving them, human trafficking, people are oppressed by things in society and in culture. And when I was talking to Will, again, Something that I really found interesting is since we are all held captive in a way by certain things of the world, since we're all held captive or we're held captive by our sin, these things weigh us down. You know what I'm saying? Our sins and our troubles of the world bring us down and they just start weighing, they physically weigh us down, they mentally wear us down, they spiritually wear us down, and they just keep bringing us down. And it don't feel good. And Jesus came to free us from that. On the cross, he took those sins upon himself. He took the burdens of humanity upon himself that we may have freedom. Those who are oppressed, those who are being taken down by the troubles of the world, those who are held captive by something, whether it's an idol or somebody who's bringing you down, who's hurting you, Jesus came to free us. And again, and again, this is... Two very important things. The good news requires for us to turn away from whatever that thing is. Turn away and go to him. To be free is not to open the gate and to go do whatever we want. Because that's just going to lead us into another cell. It's to open the gate and go into the open and loving arms of Jesus where he invites everyone to participate in his goodness and in his love and praise God for what he has done and will continue to do. All right, I got one more. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I like this one. The year of jubilee. Anybody know what that is, the year of jubilee? Have you heard it before? Yeah? So <clears throat> I'm going to read something about the year of jubilee. is isn't found in the Old Testament. The year of jubilee involved a year of release from indebtedness and types of bondage, and all types of bondage. All prisoners and captives were set free. All slaves were released. All debts were forgiven. And all property was returned to its original owners. In addition, all labor was to cease for one year. And those bound by labor contracts were released from them. One of the benefits of Jubilee was that both the land and the people were able to rest. So this life, this world that we long for, that we want to go into, this rest that we want is completed and fulfilled in Christ. 
I don't want to be indebted. I don't want to have to owe bills to people. I don't want to be held captive by whatever my trouble is. I want to be free. And it is fulfilled in Jesus. We long for this freedom. And it's fulfilled in Jesus. Okay. These words that were spoken of 2,000 years ago are true then and they are true today. There is an open hand where Jesus offers jubilee, rest. And it's not just one year, but this is an eternal invitation to come into life with Jesus Christ, to live into the world that we long for as humanity. Jesus has an open hand invitation for us to live into his goodness. Let us take that invitation. Let us go into Jesus Christ. Let us live into what he has called us to. Let us make him the center of our lives. And as we do that, we live as Christ called us. We share the good news with the poor, spiritually and physically poor. Remembering that it is Jesus who's going to solve this. We help free the captives. We help those who are struggling see, and we help those who are physically ill or hurt. And then we rejoice in God because we are free. We are free. And we can see glimpses of this in this world. And we have seen glimpses of God's joy and goodness in this world. But the full fulfillment of it, the full completion of it, is not in the next life. So we hold hope in the today. So whatever it is that you are struggling with today, whatever it is that's holding you captive, turn to God. Let us all turn to God. Let us put him at the center of our life and let us hold on to that hope because that life that we long for, that we all long for, it's going to come to completion in him. Amen? Okay, I'm going to pray for us. And then I think we have a message. Is that a song? Is that right? Okay, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that we get to hear that you remain true, that you are the fulfillment, that in you we find freedom, in you we find truth, in you there is the good news. So, Lord God, let us take that into our lives, share it with our brothers and our sisters, with our co-workers. Let us share it with one another, and let us live into what you have called us to, recognizing that you are Lord, and you invite us all to participate in life with you. In Jesus Christ's name.